You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, the verses 1 to 9, and thereafter, chapter 2, the verses 14 to 18. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. And about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And then we turn to the next chapter, beginning at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted He is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Then we turn to Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is he called God's only begotten Son since we are children of God also? Because Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption through grace for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, let's begin this morning with what some may consider somewhat of a strange question, and the question is this. What is your status as you partake this morning of the supper of the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as an intruder, an outsider, an interloper? Or do you see yourself as unfit, undeserving, and out of place? 
Or perhaps do you see yourself as a deserving participant, as a rightful partaker, as a natural guest? In other words, just how do you see yourself in relation to the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, of course, it's possible to answer that question in any number of different ways. But this morning, however, I propose that we answer it from out of the perspective of Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so what is Lord's Day 13? Well, as you could have heard a moment ago, it is a Lord's Day that's all about our Savior. And indeed, you can say that the Lord's Days 11, 12, and all the way to 19 are all about Him. And that specifically, the Lord's Days 11 to 14 are all about His person, about who He is. So who is He? Well, Lord's Day 11 tells us that He is Jesus, the Savior. Lord's Day 12 tells us that He is the Christ, the Anointed One of God. Lord's Day 14 tells us that He is of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary. But of course, that leaves out Lord's Day 13. And what does it tell us about Him? Well, as you can read, basically, beloved, two things. First, it tells us that He is the only begotten Son of God. And second, it tells us that He is also our Lord. So, Son of God and Lord. That's really what Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism is all about. But for a moment, let's look at that a little closer. First, we believe and we confess together that Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. What does that mean? I guess you could say, well, it means very simply that Jesus Christ is unique, that He's special, that He's very, very unusual, and in some ways rather different. Note, He is not just the Son of God. He is the one and only Son. Or if you want, He is the only begotten of the Father. But now what exactly does that mean? Well, to be honest, we have to say that no one completely and totally knows. There is a lot of mystery. There has historically been a tremendous amount of debate about what exactly, precisely does it mean that Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father. And so there is mystery. But still you can say mixed with the mystery there is also majesty. For by calling Jesus Christ the only begotten Son, we are saying that there is this special tie between Him and the Father. It's Scripture's way of saying He is from the Father, He is of the Father, He is one with the Father, He too is God. You may know that Luke in his Gospel calls Him the Son of the Most High. The Apostle John calls him the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Nicene Creed calls him the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages. And the Catechism in its explanation says this means that he is the eternal, natural Son 
of God. Jesus Christ, in other words, is the special Son of God. He's divine. But Jesus Christ is also something else. The Catechism reminds us, as does actually the Apostles' Creed, He is also Lord. And I think you will all recognize that that is a most popular name. You can find it throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. In the Old Testament, God is often called Lord or He is called the Lord God. And you can say that that is God's personal name. The name by which His people are to call on Him as the God who has taken them into covenant with Himself. Interestingly, that name, Lord, in the New Testament is a name that is used especially of the risen and enthroned Christ. It's not so much used of Him throughout the Gospels as it is after He ascends into the heavens. He is called the Lord, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. And so you can say that way name Lord points again to His divinity. The fact that Jesus Christ is more than simply a man, more than just a human being. He's also God invested with power and majesty and mystery divine. And so then, beloved, here in Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we have to do fundamentally with two divine names. But then, of course, you may wonder, what, is the, what do these names have to do with us? What bearing do they have on us, on our status? And you might say, what implications do they have with regard to this supper that we are about to celebrate? Well, for an answer, look closely at the explanation of the Heidelberg Catechism. For notice, it doesn't limit itself to these two names. No, what it does is tie both of those names to the believers, to the children of God, to us. First, in reference to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son, it adds, but do not forget for a moment that we are also children of God. Christ may be the eternal, natural Son of God. He may be the one and the only, but we too belong to the family of God. And how do we belong to the family of God? Well, Scripture says, and the Catechism reminds us of this as well, that we belong to it through the miracle of adoption. That miracle by which God claims us, makes us His own, welcomes us into His house, invests upon us all the rights and the privileges of being His children. That miracle of the love of God to the gift of faith, thanks to the work of Christ, thanks to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He makes us His own. All who believe in Jesus Christ belong to the family of God. Scripture says over and over, all who believe in Him are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. So what kind of meal is this? 
This, beloved, is a family meal. It's a meal in which God is the host. It's a meal in which we are the participants. It's a meal that comes to us through Christ by the power of the Spirit. All who have received the Spirit of sonship and daughtership may partake. Everyone who lives by faith in the Son of God eats and drinks salvation. But beloved, if this is a meal for all who God's adopted children, it's also something else. Look at the second part of Lord's Day 13. Notice that it too goes beyond a simple explanation of the divine name and moves on to its application or implications for us. So what does the name Lord, when applied to Jesus Christ, say to us and about us? Does it speak of covenant? Does it speak of resurrection? Does it speak of return? No. Beloved, more than anything else, first and foremostly, when we hear the name Lord, it should make us think of ransom. Yes, ransom. Now, why does it do that? Well, think of it. We said that the name Lord is God's covenant name. It's the name that God's people are supposed to use when they call upon Him, but for for them to do that, to be able to do that, something else has to happen. Before God's people can call upon Him, they have to be rescued, redeemed, and ransomed by Him. You see, what we're getting at is that there's a huge problem here. It is the fact that by nature and origin, this people lives estranged from God, far from God, and at enmity with God. By nature, we have more in common with the devil and with darkness than we do with God and the light. And so before people can call on him, something has to change. A huge, unimaginable, humanly impossible change has to happen. You might say a stupendous change of ownership needs to take place. God's people need to leave the realm of the devil and enter into the realm of God. They need to leave the darkness and go into the light. They need to change kingdoms and loyalties and loves and affections. But how will that happen? And who can make that happen? Well, the Scripture says there's only one, and that's the Lord, the mediator of the covenant. Only He can defeat the devil, destroy His power, and claim this people for God. Only He can do the impossible. Yes, and he does it. He does it, the catechism says, according to the words of Peter. He does it by means not of silver or gold, but he does it by blood. His own blood, lordly blood. Only that blood is precious enough and powerful enough 
As Peter declares, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so it is the Lord, Jesus the Lord, who redeems and ransoms his own. And now, beloved, apply that to this meal. And what do you see? This is not just a meal for God's adopted people. This is also a meal for God's ransomed people. And that is now our status. As together we eat the bread and drink the wine, remember that you can only do so because Christ has laid the basis for your adoption and paid the price for your ransom. It's He who brings you into the family of God. Through Him we are the children of God. And through Him we are also the free, liberated, and rescued children of God. And so as the family of God and the free family of God, let us now together rejoice and celebrate as well the goodness of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.